This podcast is a member of the Pokecasters Network. For more information, go to pokecastersnetwork.com. Welcome to the Pokepress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. In this episode, Anthropy Podcast comes over to talk about the music of the 18th Pokemon film, Hoopa and the Clash of Ages. We compare Tweety and Every Side of Me as end themes, and also do a fair bit of discussion on the movie's scores. If you want to know what we thought of the film itself, be sure to listen after the outro. Thanks. Hi folks, Steven here. I'm on the phone with Anne from PB Podcast. And this is uh, a bit of a, I don't know if somber is the right word, but this is actually going to be not our last discussion by any means, but this is actually the last for now in our series of discussions of the music of the Pokemon movies. So this time around, we are talking about the music of Hoopa and the Clash of Ages. Uh, I forget what the the Japanese name is a little bit uh, more complicated as as it often is. For those of you who maybe don't remember super well what the Hoopa movie is about, Hoopa is this Pokemon that can sort of summon things. It can summon things from other parts of, of the world and stuff like that. And that can include, uh, you know, allowing people to move from one side of the world or bringing in resources or even bringing in other Pokemon. And, uh, you know, it eventually gets into the habit of summoning powerful Pokemon for it to fight and in the opening sequence of the movie, uh, we see it, its sort of more powerful form, the unbound form, getting confined to this bottle. And, and we spend most of the rest of the movie dealing with the confined form, the more childlike form. And you know, eventually we flash back to the current day and it runs into Ash and uh, Bonnie and Clement and Serena since this is an XY movie, and sort of they're, they're, they go on sort of a... It's hard to kind of summarize the, the quest they go on, but basically they're trying to help Hoopa realize its true potential in a way, but it's a little hard to summarize sort of the, some of the goings-on in this movie. Uh, as far as how we originally saw it, I know I saw it on TV. Uh, would have been on Cartoon Network at the time. I DVR'd it. And I went to rewatch it just uh, just yesterday, the day before we recorded this, and I thought I had it on DVD somewhere, and I could not find it. Uh, now, maybe it is somewhere around here, and I've just lost it. I ended up actually buying it uh, off of YouTube. You can actually buy movies off of YouTube if you weren't aware. And that was how I watched this. Uh, Anne, how did you end up uh, getting to know this movie initially? Um, I also saw it on TV, which is not the best way to see a Pokemon movie with, you know, commercials and the like, but it it did the job. <laughs> I feel like not much could have saved this movie from that first, the first watching. Yeah, we'll talk about that uh, in our sort of our bonus segment at the end of the discussion. But uh, we're sticking to our usual format with this. We're going to be talking about a couple things. One of those is the ending themes. Let's see, on the Japanese side, we have Tweedia. And uh, the, the artist's name is a little bit complicated in there. On the English side, we have... Every Part of Me by Danny Marcus. Um, I have some thoughts. I have some notes punched up uh, that I've written up on this. We'll also be talking about the score and some of the other stuff. Uh, And then you may be wondering, well, gee, if you're out of movies for the time being, what are you doing in your next episode? 
Well, well, stick around. Uh, we do have a plan in, and uh, we'll go into that a little bit later. But first of all, Anne, um, why don't you tell us who exactly performs? I, I, I cannot. It's like Ray something or other. Who performs Tweedia, and what's her backstory? All right. Uh, so Tweedia was performed by Ray Yasuda. Uh, she was born Rachel Rhodes, and she was born in North Carolina in the United States, actually. Um, her mother was Japanese, and it looks like her father may have been in the military, so she moved with them to Japan at age three and was schooled at uh, the Yokoto Air Force Base and so speaks both English and Japanese fluently um, and decided to make her career in Japan as a singer. She says her influences are... Um, people such as Alicia Keys and Maria Takeuchi, Love Psychedelico, and uh, my favorite, Utada Hikaru. But she actually started out in entertainment as a model. And after passing an audition to model um, as part of a virtual band, uh, the Genki Rockets, which were a fictional band made up as part of a Nintendo game, and they had a kind of a whole series. So maybe some of you gamers out there are more familiar with it than I am. Um, but they had this this band as part of it. And Yasuda, when she proved she could sing in her audition, didn't just get to star in the video, um, but sang on the album and is kind of the front person for the Genki Rockets um, as Lumi. Um, this was back in around uh, 2006 when Yasuda was in junior high and uh, her school didn't allow students to have performing jobs. So she actually kept all her work with Genki Rockets a secret until she was able to transfer to a new school that allowed her to pursue singing. And in 2013, she began pursuing a music career full-time, and she debuted with the song Best of My Love, which had a tie-in as the ending of Space Battleship Yamato 2199, so still dealing with space. Uh, but she has branched out since then and is enjoying a lovely career as a singer and a model. Um, she also hosts radio shows and has begun writing song lyrics, including uh, Boom Clap by Charlie XCX. So some of you have actually heard her work, even if you're not dialed into Japanese music. In 2016, she won the Teen Choice Award at the MTV Music Awards and is still going strong. Uh, she's had two studio albums to date and released two singles so far this year. She's kind of a bit of a newer artist compared to some of the others I've talked about who started like in the 90s or earlier. So it's exciting to think that she probably still has many more years and major accomplishments ahead of her. But that's that's what I have on uh, Ray Yasuda. So can you kind of explain those those two names there? Obviously, she was born in the United States. Where does the, the other name come from then? Can you kind of explain that? I don't have a lot of info on where it comes from. Yasuda may have been her mother's name. Rie could be a nickname she had or, you know, maybe it's her middle name. There, I don't have a lot of info on where that came from. So then... Uh, what what kind of details do you have on this uh, the song itself then how that got produced and associated because it sounds like if she did some video game work before that would kind of give her an in on some of this any any of that uh, how it fit together or yeah um, and it's kind of a, a nice little circle of connection Rachel Rhodes uh, Ray Yasuda performed this song but the lyrics were actually written by Kenji Tamai. Um, and co-written by Akiko N. And um, Mr. Tamai, he was born uh, September 6, 1971, and he's uh, a music producer and the CEO of Ageha Springs, um, a Japanese music production team. He wrote music for Genki Rockets, which, you know, 
uh, Miss Yasuda was working on. Um, and he's also written for groups such as Scandal, which we, who we talked about, um, on earlier episodes. So that kind of might explain how he got into working on this song for Pokemon. He's, you know, in with Nintendo. He's in with Yasuda. You know, they've all worked together before. He's also credited many times as translating songs from various K-pop groups, as, as, such as Shiny and um, Girls' Generation, CN Blue, translating their songs into Japanese for the Japan release. So he also has work um, working on established properties, not just original music. Um, it also suggests he speaks some Korean, but I can't confirm that. But yeah, like... Between him and his production team and having worked with Yasuda and having worked with Nintendo, I'm not surprised that all these people came together again to work on another project. Definitely makes sense. Like I said, connections are, are still a very big part of the uh, the music industry these days, and I can certainly vouch for that. Even though I'm not a professional musician, I've often... Uh, gotten interviews, you know, by uh, contacting one person and that person knows someone else in the Pokemon music sphere and can, you know, first of all, that might be how they got their, their role, but it also gives me an opportunity to, to find additional folks. So not a complete surprise there. Uh, any other production details about this song? Yes. Uh, unlike some of the other ones, this one has a lot of, um, side credits on it. Um, one of them being uh, co-music production was uh, Masahiru Tobinai, um, who is another member of Ageha Springs. He co-wrote the music and kind of seems to work on a lot of projects with Kenji Tamai. Um, and the lyrics were co-written, as I mentioned, by an Akiko N. And because they just published under their surname as just an initial, it's hard to track down without getting real deep in the weeds who this Akiko is who wrote the songs. I have I have a few suspicions, but there are a lot of songwriters out there named Akiko, so I don't think it's even fair to speculate, but there were a lot of a lot of people came together to work on this song. Yeah, you know, like I said, not just connections there, but I think that they probably had a fair bit of fun working on this one. That was sort of a team effort it sounds like. Seems so, seems so. Okay, well on the English side, uh Kind of unfortunately, I suppose. Uh, nothing against Danny Marcus, but because we talked about her a fair bit as to what she was up to last time when we talked about the her song for the Diancy movie, and we also talked about her a couple years ago when we talked about the Magirna movie, same staff as usual. Uh, I'm guessing that they liked what they got out of um, her work on the Diancy movie and decided to use her again and also in the next movie. Um, but no real special, like, writing people on this. It's just, it's Ed Goldfarb, as you would probably expect for this era. I'm not sure exactly if they wanted, to, if that was their intention, that as long as the first one worked out, they would use the same one for all the X and Y movies or, or, or what there. But, yeah, that's about what I had to say. I don't want to belabor it too much more, but kind of, an, you know, like I said, from a discussion perspective, this is going to be a pretty short segment here. I'm curious, is um, Danny Marcus, is, does she have the most movies under her belt for Pokemon ending themes? Because I know a couple of them have had maybe subsequent movies, but I th don't think anyone's got three full movies in a row. I believe she does have the record in that area, having the, the ending theme, the primary ending theme song in that area. I think the only other person I can think of off the top of my head who's done it multiple times is um, Haven Pashal, who did both the I Choose You and 
lead vocals along with some other folks in the uh, Power of Us um, song from the from last year's animated film. So if she, I don't know if, if she's going to get tapped to do an ending theme song for this uh, U2 Strikes Back remake in the English version, maybe she'll be singing We're a Miracle or, or something else entirely. You never know. Um, but Danny Marcus, as far as I know, she's done some other work, I believe, as well. But as far as movie ending themes with English, yes, she does have that record, as far as I know. Cool. Okay, well, let's talk about how these ones actually sound. We're going to go back over to the Japanese side. So, Tweety, uh, definitely a very energetic song with some some very, um, I guess you say, high-energy vocals. Kind of reminds me thematically is if you took the uh, the Japanese ending to the Shaman movie, one, and sort of mm. amped that up a little bit and kept it at a more consistent high-energy rate. Does that kind of make sense to you, Anne? Yeah, no, it's definitely like a power ballad with a lot of kind of R&B style vocals. Like comparing her to Crystal K from One is very apt. I, I was thinking as I listened to it, you can tell one of her influences was Utada Hikaru. But yeah, no, like there's just a lot of soulful energy and sliding and, and emotion behind the words that I, I really appreciate. I do have to say, uh, I don't know if it's a full criticism because I love the song as it is. It does have, you say, very positive and uplifting and bright and energetic music behind it. But when we get to talking about the score of this movie, in Japanese, there were some very unique things to this movie going on in the score that like I often complain aren't there in the score. And I feel it's really odd to have Shinji Miyazaki being on point with a, a melodic theme and then the ending theme doesn't fit any of the other tracks in the movie. Yeah, the But again, I don't know if it's a criticism because I really like the song as it is. Yeah, you know, it, this is from a scoring perspective because of all the characters in it, uh, pretty complicated. And when we get to the score, we, we may spend a fair bit of time on the score this time around. Uh, discussing some of the particulars, I think this is going to be be like that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what else to say about it besides the the highly positive tone as far as like uh, you know the instrumentation and stuff like that. But I did look up as I usually try to do a translation of this song awesome. on Bobopedia. But and I want to give you the first shot at this. What is the song actually talking about? Okay, so based on the title Tweedia for uh, you flower nerds. Uh, that's a very cute little flower shaped like a star. It's usually bright blue, which is kind of a, a rarity in the natural world. Um, and it symbolizes hearts that believe in each other or blissful love. It's used a lot in flower arrangements that you would give to somebody as a bouquet or wedding or, you know, making up with somebody, giving someone flowers in a hard time. And that's kind of what this song seems to imply is the protagonist of the song is looking through some old memorabilia, say a photo album or something, and finds the pressed flowers of the Tweedia from the time they received flowers from another person. And then they're reminiscing on that time that they they were not having a good time in their life. They stood all alone in the darkness, and I, every time I sought happiness, I lost sight of everything else. But another person came into their life and gave them flowers and because of that, like, was able to cheer them up and make them laugh and, and get them through their hard time. And now they're looking back on it from a better place. 
and just kind of reminiscing and hoping that maybe they can pass it on or or maybe they can continue to become a better person or return that favor. Yeah, I mean, that was the, I read the translation of Boba P and it seemed to have some of those. There were actually, I, I sort of gravitated towards a couple uh, of particular lyrics that, like I said, this is based on that translation, so it may not be 100% mm-hmm. accurate, but things I th- thought that kind of matched up with the movie. So let's see. First of all, one of those is uh, Forgot When to Stop, um, which, mm-hmm. you know, we see in the prologue sort of that, that Hoopa starts summoning things to sort of test its its own might and sort of goes a little too far there. Let's see, what else did I notice? Oh, you mentioned the album part. I didn't notice the the phrase bound album, mm-hmm. believe in our bonds. Um, I, I think those two are kind of significant given sort of the um, – Sort of the connections theme kind of in this movie in that like, mm-hmm. you know, there are sort of the uh, or, or the sometimes actually the confinement because there's the the the, the prison bottle, uh, which is used to store Koopa's more powerful uh, side. And then um, there's also, let's see, something about the old me. Do those sound kind of like places that kind of make sense uh, to sort of gravitate towards when I was reading through this? That's a weird yeah. way to phrase it, I know. but <laughs> No, no. I, I gravitate toward different lyrics, but I, I really like the ones you picked out as well. Kind of in the same vein, um, in that first stanza, like, I stood all alone in the heart of darkness. Every time I seek out happiness, I would lose sight of everything once I lose myself. Like, I kind of am recall the prologue of the movie where you've got Hoopa wanting to make people happy and show off its power and, you know, everybody's clapping for it and everything and then sort of starts losing sight of the bigger picture as it destroys everything around it and kind of loses itself. And anytime I believe in our bonds, when I face a hard time, I won't be afraid. When it talks about the bonds that we share and the way you can overcome and become stronger, I think about the ending of the movie, spoiler alert, where Koopa is fighting its dark side in a sense, and Ash is fighting a dark side and all these things. And it's the the memories and the, like, I'm not alone because you are here, and the connections between people that help them to overcome that and to eventually escape. I, I think what you, you picked out ones that are a bit more literal than I did, but there do seem to be a lot of um, tiebacks to the movie in a way. Yeah, yeah. Now, if we assume that this song is supposed to be from Hoopa's perspective, it does say our bonds. Who exactly is our, you know, the other half of that, uh, or the other segment of that? Is it the the folks from where Hoopa is from? Is that, um, any any thoughts there? Maybe a bit of both. Like, I, I think definitely it made connections with Pikachu and Ash. I think definitely... What's the girl's name? Mira. And Hoopa talks about like the the dude and the little girl. And they talked about how their grandfather considered Hoopa family and the like. So I think there's a lot of connections between there. And I will talk about this later. I don't really understand this movie, but I, I do feel like towards the end of the movie, you got the sense that Hoopa was much more connected to the city it lived in and the people who lived there with it. And not as much in the beginning where it was just performing for people and everybody, look at me, I'm so strong. Everything's about me. So assuming I'm right in 
picking that up as one of the metaphors in this movie. <laughs> I, I think that is another connection, is just its connection to place and to community. Ah, Murray and Baraz. There we go. Yeah, yeah. I, I sometimes, I'll admit some of the human characters that are introduced in this movie, not nearly as interesting or as memorable as as Hoopa, I would, I would say. Fair. Um, <laughs> as far as I can tell... Happy Together's use in the first Detective Pikachu trailer wasn't because of any super-specific lyrical parallel with the plot of the film. Sure, Tim whips out his phone a few times, and occasionally acts a little crazy, but really it seems that the song was meant to highlight the buddy cop aspect of the movie. And perhaps this suggests that Tim and Detective Pikachu might have wound up with each other for a reason. Musically, the song's melancholic verses and incredibly bright chorus parallel the film's darker but not too dark tone, and to a certain extent the personalities of the main characters, with Tim being more low-key and Detective Pikachu more energetic. With all that said, however, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that this isn't the first time the song has come into Pokémon's orbit. Fans of the original N64 Smash Brothers will remember that ads for that game also use this tune, adding another level of nostalgia to the mix. Anyway, do you have your own thoughts on any of this? Feel free to let us know. Thanks. I guess one other thing we should mention, there is a music video for this for this song. Have you seen that? And do you have any thoughts on it? I've seen two. There was the one that was kind of intercut with Pokemon scenes, and then I saw the short version that was put out by um, Yasuda's official channel. Which one are you talking about? Well, the only one I recall seeing is, you know, the one that uh, came with... The DVD? Uh, yeah, so I picked this up on a CD-DVD combo, which you see in Japan sometimes. And the, the CD has three tracks, Tweedia, and a couple, I guess you could call them B-sides. Mm -hmm. The DVD is rather short. It doesn't even have a proper menu. It just has the, the music video on there. I don't recall there being any scenes from the movie in there. So that's kind of the version I, re I, I know of. <laughs> okay, cool. I, and what are your thoughts on it? Well, you know, I don't know that it had uh, a super in-depth plot or anything like that. It's, it's mostly about people like giving and receiving flowers, which I I don't know, remember how many of them were actually like the Tweedia plant, but uh Yeah, no, that is the one I saw then. I saw a short version of that. Yeah. Like a lot of different flower arrangements. Yeah, it definitely goes, I suppose, with uh, some of the, the lyrics in there, but no distinct ties in the movie since there's there's no footage in there. Although I think I remember when you, we were talking specifically about, like, Detective Pikachu and stuff and the Carry On music video that you kind of don't always like just – maybe not randomly is probably being a little too harsh, but just having scenes from the movie intercut in there. Is that sort of – am I characterizing yeah. that correctly, Anne? That's yeah. That's my, generally my stance. I just I just want a movie or I want an AMV. <laughs> I, I I think I kind of get. It. I'm not sure I totally agree with that, but um, you don't have to. <laughs> so with that being said, I think that's about what we're going to get uh, musically uh, out of Tweety at the moment. But let's uh, let's talk about every side of me. Uh, like I said, Danny mm -hmm. Marcus, one of her three ending themes, at least thus far. One of the things that strikes me. Uh, you know, in terms of tonality, this this song is very different from Tweedia. It starts with a very somber opening, and it mm -hmm. does get more energetic as time goes on before it goes into sort of that piano version that you hear at the very end, which seems to be pretty well in common with some of the more recent uh, Pokemon movies as they do the ending theme song. And then there's a sort of a piano rendition 
usually of that song um, towards the end of the credits, with the exception of, I guess, I Choose You. Very, very different tonality. Did that strike you, Anne? Yes, very much so. As we were talking about the score earlier, this one kind of fits in with that score a little better, although I do believe the English score was a little different than the Japanese one in that way. So I might have to I might have to revise my thinking on that. Maybe it doesn't fit quite as well. But like it, it fit that theme of this location based on Dubai for location scouting. Like with those stringed instruments and the minor key. Yeah, definitely based on Dubai. I have a uh, I guess a bit of trivia that for that later, maybe. I did want to note one technical aspect of it. Um, some of the drum samples use what's called a gated reverb. It was it was very big in the 80s and has been making a comeback uh, sporadically in the last few years. But basically, it's a, a case where uh, the echo of something is louder than the original source, which is uh, not naturally possible, but is done with various types of effects, either like a, a electronic synthesizer or stuff like that. Um, there's a good video out there that I'll try and put a card into at some point. But cool. I did kind of want to point that out. That's why the drums have that that interesting sound uh, that sounds kind of like, almost like an 80s song in, in a sort of way. <laughs> Although the song itself does sound more modern than that. Mm-hmm. Towards the middle of it, there's a little bit of, of a Middle East style interlude. I, I don't like... It's always a little bit tricky with this. Uh, um, I like to say, if you ever play a desert level in a video game, because this this thing is often used, uh, this style of, of music is often used for that type of setting. But what did you kind of think of it, and maybe structurally, before we get into the lyrics? Well, like you, I I'm, I'm have trouble describing it. If my piano teacher is watching, I'm going to guess it's like the a natural harmonic minor scale. But it, it's that... It's a sort of scale of music that's very indicative of Southeast, Middle East, and the styles of music there. And I, on the one hand, I I really appreciate them trying to tie it back to, you know, this city is a place in the Pokemon world, and it has its own music style and its own feel. But this song goes a lot of places in starting kind of in the somber area, and then it kind of gets to a much more positive area, and then it gets to like a piano. I'm not sure if I'm completely sold on it going so many places, but it does grow on me. So I think the more I listen to it, the more I'll let that go. Uh, Yeah, I I, kind of see what you're saying there. Yeah, it is a (laughs) a little bit uh, kind of structurally a, a bit Unusual, I guess, is the best way I can put it. Yeah, maybe unusual. Not not necessarily bad. I'm just I'm not sure it's convinced me yet. <laughs> well, let's talk about the lyrics then. So I did, uh, like I did with uh, the translation of Tweety I found, I did call out a few of them. Um, at the very beginning, in that somber passage, it says uh, something about uh, create something with room for only me, which is sort of... Referring, I, I assume, to sort of Hoopa in the uh, opening sequence, uh, how it kind of got a little selfish and sort of, you know, wanted to test its might and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But there were a couple other ones I, I did put in. First of all, there's the um, Were You Surprised, which is kind of a... Oh, yeah. Something I believe Hoopa actually says something or something very close to that several times in the movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which I felt was a, a nice touch there. And then there's also this recurring line that says, you know, that tear us apart and bring us together, I think is a line or something very close to that. It's something that happens several times in there. I, that's 
Yeah, I'm not gonna say that's the most genius bit of of lyrics uh, ever written or anything like that, but it does give it a little bit of flavor there, I would say. And did you have any particular lyrics that that caught your attention? Well, I'm kind of with you on um, the tears apart or bring us together. That whole chorus section. Um, you know every side of me, all my hidden places, uh, all the different faces that compete to share your heart. Like, I get to thinking about Hoopa and their journey through this movie a lot. And, you know, them being a, a selfish character and a prankster, someone who puts on a face in a way to kind of hide their vulnerabilities and um, has trouble connecting to people. And how the people it meets throughout this movie sort of come to find every side of Hoopa and all of the things that make Hoopa who it is and guide it metaphorically to where its real home is. Yeah, again, I don't understand this movie. It's harder for me to find the metaphors in the song lyrics, but I feel there's something very, very interesting and very tied to the movie in here in a very poetic way. I love our, uh, Tell Me Were You Surprised as well, being like that Hoopa's literal catchphrase, but there's something quite beautiful in the chorus there, I think. Yeah, the, yeah, there is. Of course, I, I kind of came back to every side of me. Uh, you did mention that there is. This. What I mean by that is that, you know, there's two very obvious sides to Hoopa. There's sort of the, the two parts of its power or personality or whatever that are sort of forcibly split of course, the name Every Side of Me does seem to imply there are more than two, that there are at least, you know, three or four. And I think you did a good job sort of laying those out there. So I just kind of wanted to point that out as sort of a maybe things are a little more complex than you might see at the surface level there. I just felt it was worth mentioning. Not everything's black and white? What? <laughs> no, no, those are the previous movies. Anyway. Uh, whoops. <laughs> Any case, yeah, that, that's a lot of what I have to say there. Um, I'm not sure how much else there is. Let's go ahead and go into our compare and contrast and decide which one we like better. Oh, so boy. this was kind of an interesting one for me. You know, we, we talked about how tonally, you know, in terms of mood and stuff, very, very different there mm -hmm. between the, the two sides. Tweedia, definitely more energetic. Uh, every side of me definitely slower, even though it does sort of lighten up as time goes on. I get the feeling that if I knew more Japanese, the Tweedia would probably hit me harder and probably be, I don't know about super easy, but probably be relatively easy for me to say that it comes out ahead. But, you know, because my Japanese is so limited, when I listen to every side of me, I, I get what they have there. I think my, maybe my, my criticism with every side of me would be that I would like there to be more of a, 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 a through line in terms of plot, maybe a more of a, a verse, more in the verses and stuff like that, that sort of describe Hoopa's journey akin to, you know, one of the, one of, of course, one of the all-time classic Pokemon movie ending themes, The Power of One, where each verse does serve at least a little bit more of a purpose than it seems like here. It seems like with Every part of me, they sort of hit the um, the general themes of the movie, but there doesn't seem to be as much of a progression as maybe Tweety has. And any thoughts on what I just said there? <laughs> I actually agree completely. Like, I I think in the end, I would give it to every side of me just because it it fits the movie well enough and tonally 
And musically, it is a little more fitting with what I think the score was going for. But at the same time, the lyrics in Tweedia, like, are so deceptively deep. And there's a lot to think about and uncover the more you go into that. And you can continue to find more connections to Hoopa. But just because it tonally doesn't match the score and it's vague enough or at least symbolic and metaphorical enough that it you things don't immediately jump out at you as a connection i i feel like it, it's a it's almost a tie they both have strengths and weaknesses that make me hold back from giving them the victory but i think every side of me does fit the movie a smidge better so that's where i'm going <laughs> Yeah, Every Side of Me is one I think I enjoy listening to more, even though Tweedia is maybe a little more polished and produced. It's obviously very J-pop as well. Um, mm. You know, you said R&B. It's definitely, a, a, you know, made to sound like stuff on Japanese radio. But um, mm. this is, I'll admit, kind of a tough decision because I, I feel like the, the English one does have some areas where it, it could have been improved. But I think I enjoy listening to it just as music a little bit better, even though the other one is very well composed and produced. I don't know if it's it might be my decision might be every part of me, but only by a hair or a little bit. Um, These are kind of close. They do different things well, which is something we often find in these discussions. But neither of them, I don't feel like it does it so well that it sets itself apart. Is is that about where you're landing, Anne? Yeah, if I came across Tweedia in a a music store, I would totally buy it for myself. But since we're talking about, you know, is it the right ending theme song for the movie? I feel like I have to give it to every side of me. So yeah, kind of a... An interesting decision there. Every every, every <laughs> matchup is a little bit different, but this one I think is it has some aspects of some of the other ones. But um, so yeah, this movie doesn't actually have an opening uh, title sequence that uses the main theme for that season. Let's see, on the Japanese side, that would have been uh, Getterban Ban, uh, one of my favorite Japanese openings, at least of this era, anyway. And then the English one would have been Be a Hero, um, but because of the way this movie is structured, um, they decided not to do that. I'm never quite sure exactly why. Some of it just depends on what the opening scenes of the movie are like and whether there's a good place to put such a thing in there. Although I think in, maybe in the um, in the uh, Magirna movie that comes after this that we did a discussion on a couple years ago, they actually do use that, but it's not in act- actually in the opening of the movie, at least right, on the, yeah. like the, the English side. They, they toss it in a little bit later. But as far as the score to this movie, so this is one of the, I guess, thus far four of the more recent movies that has a fairly different English score than the Japanese version. Now, as with most of these, there's at least a few things that are carried over. You know, the future is now thanks to science, uh, Clement's uh, science theme, and like uh, some of the Pokemon game themes are in there, but a lot of it gets replaced. Now, of course, there's a Japanese score album, but we don't have an English version, so it's kind of hard to listen in isolation. But I think there's going to be a lot to talk about here, just in part because what the Japanese score did is that it brought back a fair number of themes from previous Japanese versions of the Pokemon movies. Um, there was 
There was definitely a reprise of a theme from the Latias and Latios movie when those Pokemon appear. It's it's one of the ones towards later in the more dramatic or more serious parts of that movie. Um, I forget exactly how it goes, but I definitely recognized it once I looked it up and stuff like that. I, I believe Arceus's theme from the well, the Arceus movie, Arceus and the Jewel of Life, uh, is also present in there. Now, I, I, there is one track that says, like, Lugia appears, and I tried comparing that to the Japanese Lugia's theme and didn't really notice any similarities. I didn't either, and it made me so sad. Like, I felt that that would be the one perfect place for it. Yeah, I'm not sure why they did it there. I mean, of course... You know, if you really wanted to go the the full nine yards or whatever you want to call it on this movie, what they would have had to do is, you know, they would have to get the English Lugia theme, which we didn't get in the uh, Zera Aura movie, uh, The Power of Us, that came out last year. They used the Japanese score, so we got the Japanese Lugia theme, mm-hmm. which did make it. Boy, and then, you know, you have to, everything after, like, the third movie, of course, all those legendaries would be using the Japanese ones. Right. If if those were in there, so like you know, obviously, if you're uh, a, a Westerner listening to the Japanese score album, you might you would recognize the Latias and Latios sample or whatever you want to call it, and then the uh, the Arceus one, and there might be one or two more in there. There was not as much as I expected, though. I, I definitely say there were a lot of a lot of themes being tied into some of these tracks because a lot happened in this movie, but. Not as much as I would have thought. Like, I don't think I picked out every Legendary's theme uh, or or such. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously there's Rayquaza in there. I don't remember if there's anything from the Deoxys and Rayquaza movie, movie 7. And then we have Giratina. There might have been something from the Shaman movie in there. Um, yes, yeah, something sounded familiar and I couldn't place them. So it, it's possible I missed a few things. But yeah, like I was trying to pick out everybody's theme and maybe, I don't think I got more than two or three. That's, that's quite possible. I mean, if you're going to pick out some of the previous ones, I mean, I've, I've gone and said even the, the non-Koba stuff in the uh, Lati's movie is is some of the best stuff in, on the Japanese True. side score-wise in there. And I think that would have that was a good choice there if you're going to pick from previous movies and bring some of that stuff in there. Mm-mm. On the flip side, though, if you've got all those legendary Pokemon in there and you try and bring in their themes, then you have to try and figure out, you know, how do you sort of organize that with the rest of the music, which, you know, Hoopa does have, I think, something of a theme in the Japanese side of this and and, pro- and also probably in the um, on the English side as well. But it's because the other ones are, are, are pre-existing, it's maybe a little easier to pick those out, but... Mm. The the music that was created for this movie generally has more of that Middle Eastern feel to it. There's a lot of uh, the sort of desert aesthetic. If you you know, like I said if you've ever played a desert level in a video game, <laughs> that's what you can kind of wind up with. But um, I don't know. Do you think that was kind of a hard thing to sort of square those two? Um. Yes and no because, like, on the one hand, I really like that style of music and like that. Uh, again, one of my complaints about Shinji Miyazaki is sometimes he doesn't take the opportunities that are presented to him to do something unique with the score. And this time he did. There was definitely a, a unique feel and a vision. The track, The Confinement Urn, like, I really like that track. It's really nice and really different from every other Pokemon movie. But at the same time, because a, a lot of these Pokemon movies, especially by this point in the series, kind of have that need to 
put stuff in just because it's a Pokemon movie. Like, we have to have Team Rocket. We have to have this or that. So, like, when the power of science shows up and it's there's not a lot done to it to make it fit the musical world he's established, it sounds really weird. And I think the most obvious example is the track Meeting Hoopa because – it starts off with just that typical anime series stock music, like, and, you know, we're meeting Ash, and it's the start of a new journey, and then suddenly it does a hard 180 to get back to that, you know, stringed instrument desert riff, because uh, Hoopa showed up. But, uh, yeah, one of the things is it definitely uses that theme that was originally created for the anime where it's the da, 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 you know that one that's used a couple times in there it's kind of used it oftentimes i think the introduction of an episode where the narrator would be mm-hmm. talking about mm-hmm. what's going on it also has kind of a bit of a shopping like uh muzak type of vibe in there <laughs> yeah and it, it's in there a couple times not sure why they chose to bring back that specific one i mean i will give them the credit that it seems like one of my criticisms of the Japanese score for I Choose You is that some of the tracks they brought in from the anime sound extremely close, like so close that you'd swear that they're like the, the original recordings looped in certain ways, that they mm-hmm. sound so so dead on there. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of one of my criticisms there. Here they do, I think, they're definitely new recordings, which I think gives them a little little more leeway. But what I really wanted to suggest is that maybe this would have been a good movie. I don't know. I don't think he did. But if Shinji Miyazaki had brought in a second person to sort of help him work through some of these scenes and rework some of these themes and get them to, to work. Because even, you know, even all the legendary themes, those are from different movies. And getting them all to work together, they weren't designed that way. So... That, you know, it might have been a good idea. And going back to movie five, one of the the better scored uh, movies on the Japanese side, in my opinion, I Mm -hmm. think it would have been a good idea for them to bring in some help. Uh, What do you think about that, Anne? I agree. I I think on a lot of uh, parts of this movie's production, bringing in somebody else to just smooth a few things over and help them connect better would have helped. (laughs) Um, But definitely... I, I would say you're right on the music, and, and Mr. Miyazaki does seem to show some of his best work when he has a sounding board to bounce things off of, or another person to collaborate with. That may have been all this needed to make it perfect. I, I find it interesting that, again, we have that sort of stock list of things we have to have in a Pokemon movie, and they chose not to have the opening theme, you know, battle montage situation for this movie and it's surprising that they were able to get rid of that but it's like no we still have to have the power of science no we still have to have the battle music and and not dress it up in a way to make it fit the world it's in i found that to be interesting and again you might be right in saying that just another person there to kind of look over his shoulder and offer offer insight might have made all the difference i don't know (laughs) Okay, well, we've been talking a lot about the Japanese score. As we mentioned, that a lot of this movie was, in fact, rescored for the English version by Ed Goldfarb. And I'm not, I'm not sure if, how many assistants, if he uh, composed it all himself or, or what, but uh, a lot of this was rescored. Now, thematically, like a lot of the, the Middle Eastern stuff is, you know, it's, it's different compositions, but very tonally, very similar between the two versions of the movie. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of unfortunately, probably in part because I don't have a separate audio track and I haven't watched this movie as many times as some of the other ones. I don't, nothing from the, like the dub score is really springing immediately to mind, but I do remember the general stylings of it. And I don't know, I'm not sure I have too much else to say. There isn't bad or anything like that. It's just that I don't, these two sides kind of came in from very different directions for kind of reasons we don't completely understand but have some decent ideas about and does that kind of make sense yeah basically <laughs> there's a lot of good going on there's a lot of meh going on <laughs> but they're they're in the same spirit i mean if you have to look at this from you know the english perspective from ed goldfarb's perspective what he had to do was he had to create new music for a lot of those fight scenes that wasn't derivative or based on stuff from previous movies and then, you know, when Shinji Miyazaki, presumably when he went through the original score, I'm sure there were some meetings about, you know, how much of the stuff we're going to use, how much of it should be original. I mean, I do think Hoopa gets better music as a character than, say, you know, Zoro and Zoroark in the Zoroark movie, uh, where there's not really a discernible theme for those characters. Hoopa, if you listen to the score that in a couple places, um, you can definitely hear that. But... Um, I don't know. I, I think I talked to we talked a little bit about this before this discussion during our test stream, and I think the phrase I came up with both of these sides of this kind of had an impossible task, but I kind of feel like one of them was more impossible than the other because it's obviously very difficult for from the English side if you're going to do the the whole rescore thing from Ed Goldfarb's perspective to write stuff that's going to match up that's going to you know. Uh, stand up against the the previous themes that were brought back on the Japanese side, um, no matter how well written they would be. That's kind of a the way I see it. So I think Shinji may have had mm-hmm. the easier job here. I, I I don't know. I'm not really sure how to call <laughs> this one. Yeah, they definitely both had a lot of work in front of them. Yeah. So like I said, I'm not sure exactly if that's the way I want to characterize it. But you know, when folks say that they don't like the fact that the um, th- those four movies, the the Diancy movie, this movie, the Magirna movie, and I Choose You were all rescored heavily for the English version. This is one of the, the of the four, maybe the one I can understand uh, the best having a preference for the original Japanese score and wishing it had used that. Um, I can certainly see that perspective. I still don't think it's perfect by any means, and I can see some of the pitfalls you can definitely run into there, but I, I, I don't know. Okay, well, I think that's about what we've got for the music part of this discussion. Now, you may notice that since we've already covered the movies that come after this, so the Magirna movie, I Choose You, Power of Us, Detective Pikachu... You may realize, hey, wait a second, you guys are out of movies, so you guys are going to do more of these. And, and yes, we are. We are definitely going to do that. And uh, I put up a little poll on my uh, community tab of YouTube, and thank you to everyone who voted there. And sort of, uh, I gave them three options. One of those was to do a summary thing uh, where we talked about what we've learned so far. We kind of did that last year with the anime convention, but I did want to put that out there as a choice. Second choice was to get a uh, another side episode, sort of like we do with uh, the live versions of Pokemon songs and uh, other stuff like that. We will do more of those in the future. And, of course, you know, when new movies come out, we will do episodes on those. The third choice that I gave was to do a discussion on the music of 
a Pokemon side game. And I think that's going to be sort of our pattern for at least a little while, uh, at least until the Mewtwo Strikes Back evolution comes to the States. We'll certainly do an episode on that. There is certainly the plan. But we're going to sort of rewind all the way back, and I decided that the first of the side games that we're going to analyze is the music of Pokemon Pinball. This was a Game Boy slash Game Boy Color game. It's one of those dual cartridges. It's actually, to be honest, kind of a little gimmicky. It's got that little rumble feature in it. But this is a a Gen 1 side game that came out uh, for the Game Boy. And uh, as the name implies, of course, it is a pinball game. You hit uh, a Pokeball around the board trying to capture, evolve, play little bonus games, score lots of points, of course, and trying to uh, complete a Pokedex of the original 151 Pokemon. Uh, I definitely remember playing this back in the day. And uh, what, what kind of experience did you have with this one? It was kind of the mindless fun you get playing, say, Yoshi's Cookie or Tetris, I found. But, like, it was delightful. And, like, the Pokemon are super cute. And, yeah, it's just a fun little pinball game. Yeah, well, definitely, like we do with the movies, talk a little bit about the games themselves. Uh, but, obviously, our, our, our discussion is going to be mostly on the music. Uh, if you do have a copy of this... You can actually, there is actually a full sound test that has all the uh, the songs there. A lot of them are derived from Red and Blue. Uh, a few of them are original. And there's also uh, one derived from the Japanese version of the anime, which, uh, if you're trying to track in a copy of this, you may notice is conspicuously absent from the 3DS Virtual Console. And I think that may be part of the reason why, but that is going to be our next discussion. Uh, we're going to obviously structure that one a little bit differently. We might do like a pick three for each of us and sort of talk about it that way, like we do in some of our side episodes. But that is what we're going to move on to now that we are out of Pokemon movies. Uh, until then, Anne, thank you very much for being on. Thank you for having me. This has been Stephen Reich. All right, folks, thanks. Thanks for listening to the PokePress Digest podcast. We'd appreciate if you rate or review us on your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to find more of our great content, visit our website at pokepress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to pokepress at gmail.com or follow at pokepress on Twitter. All right. Uh, well, Anne, I didn't think this was the greatest Pokemon movie ever or anything like that. It's, it's probably in the either the lower end. If I have my my like three thirds that I divide the Pokemon movies into <laughs> these days, it's sort of the bottom of the middle tier or the upper part of the lower tier. Like um, yeah. the Magirna movie that comes after is definitely less appealing to me. But it sounds like you had some specific musical like tie-in things that you wanted to go over there. I know this is sort of the, the movie discussion, but it sounds like you had some specific things well, you wanted to mention. Like I, it's it's less about the music. Like I just feel like it's so ironic that I feel that Shinji Miyazaki of the entire team, that production team, was the most on point in this movie. Like I don't understand this movie. <laughs> like Keldeo, I understand why it frustrates me. There. It, it feels like they just didn't try. But this movie, like, they clearly tried to make something and it doesn't come together. It just all falls apart. Like, what happens? I don't get this movie. Ugh. <laughs> I have frustrations. There's so much potential. Well, to be honest, uh, the, the motion I got watching yesterday is about three quarters of the way through. I was I was kind of tired of it a little bit and just had, had kind of... I wasn't watching it super closely, to be honest. But it definitely didn't quite keep my interest. Like I said, I, I do think the McGearna movie is definitely 
sort of the the low point um, in and for whatever reason yeah. for me in terms of like maybe not the worst Pokemon movie ever, but definitely towards that that bottom rung. Uh, this one is I definitely think better than that, but. I, I I do like to kind of joke. Um, go, if we go back, Hoop is a sixth generation Pokemon, and sort of one of the the big things about it is it summons a lot of legendary. So I'd like to joke that um, Hoopa may be a sixth generation Pokemon, but it's pretty clear it was put in charge of the fifth generation of the Pokemon trading card game, which is heavily laden with legendaries <laughs> and not to my liking. Part of that is actually has more to do with the fifth generation rules but i, I kind of like to, to make that thing so actually coming into this movie i was a little bit pessimistic so maybe it actually exceeded my i may have had some low expectations <laughs> it, i think there was more to it than i thought so maybe that's why I, I don't have quite the negative impression that you do it seems like but yeah, it's not completely negative that because i can see that there's the a lot of potential for some really great things like you've got this character of hoopa who in the same way as Shaman, like, you know, the gratitude Pokemon who is very ungrateful until the end, um, you've got this Pokemon that is possibly learning some life lessons and, and, and fixing some personality flaws, and you've got potentials for metaphor and confinement, and you've got evil Ash, you've got alternate costumes, like, you've got a lot of interesting things going on in this movie, but... It, it's like, it's like, say you order online, like, a beautiful piece of jewelry or something, and it's, you know, got all these jewels and gold and customized carvings, and it's like a work of art, but it arrives, and you open the box, and it's just, like, all the separate pieces, and, like, all the components aren't connected. And that's this movie for me, like, I'm sure there was a masterpiece in that box at one point, but somehow everything just fell apart and just felt like everybody at the studio got to direct a scene or something. I I don't understand what happened to this movie. I don't totally disagree with that. <laughs> I would say more that the pieces fit together, but not in a particularly interesting way. Okay. Like they don't, the it, it doesn't seem like it's more than the sum of its parts. Mm. Is, is that maybe what you're going with there? Maybe, yeah. Like I, I, I was it the last movie we were talking about where it felt like it needed another like pass of you know a second draft or something to maybe tweak the placement of certain scenes and then it would have ha been much more impactful some of the climax at the end i feel like this is another one where it's like maybe if we just went over that script one more time we could have dug an out the jewel that appears to be hiding in there somewhere <laughs> I suppose that's one possibility. I mean, maybe not. <laughs> to be honest, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of want to bring up the TCG examples in part because I don't know that having more legendaries necessarily makes a better movie. I think they maybe thought that having a bunch of legendaries in the movie it obviously got attention, mm -mm. but it, I don't know that it made the scope or the the interest level, or it, I don't, maybe it didn't make the movie as interesting as they thought it would on paper. And maybe that's kind of the issue. Because I, I know, like, for example, in the current, um, in, in the VGC, let's, let's just bring in every major aspect of the Pokemon uh, franchise, why don't we? Um, <laughs> you know, when you have those periods where the format allows a large number of legendary and some uh, mythical Pokemon are pretty much always banned from, from VGC. Mm -hmm. So Pokemon like Mew and Hoopa 
and Arceus and stuff like that that you don't encounter normally in the course of the game are not are virtually never allowed, but stuff like Rayquaza or Kyogre or Groudon are are allowed. It seems like those events, they might get a lot of interest like from uh, the spectators, but I seem to think on another level, the competitors aren't as interested in them, and I, I kind of get tired of them sometimes. Um, do you think maybe there was that having... So many legendaries slash mythicals in a movie sounds like a great idea on paper, but in reality doesn't create necessarily the opportunities. Possibly. And that might be a clue to what happened with this movie. Because on the one hand, one of the positives about this movie was there were some sick fight scenes. And we were at a point in the Pokemon anime where the animation could support some high-level action scenes. So in that case, having all the legendaries there for like a massive battle with some really complex fight choreography and backgrounds and, you know, stuff that we couldn't see, we, we couldn't physically realize in like the first movie was really amazing. But I definitely think when it comes to action movies, if you can't get a personal meaningful plot down then you're just watching a lot of explosions and it doesn't mean as much. And they definitely, f not failed, but struggled in getting the character connections and the story through during those fight scenes, I think. A at least to, like, get the payoff that they wanted. So, yeah, I can see, like, on paper, that was, that's a really big attention getter. And obviously their animation team and their storyboard team can do a big scene with a bunch of legendaries and make it, you know, dynamic and compelling and visually interesting. But some of the rest of the plot that, you know, makes the movie mean something seems to have gotten a little bit disjointed and lost. So yeah, maybe execution didn't realize the dream that was on paper the way, it, the way they wanted to. Maybe the story they had in the writer's room was a very different vision. Yeah. So, I, I mean, let's see. As far as I'm concerned, the movie with the most legendary Pokemon in it that I, I enjoy, I guess it's got to be 2000 because there's four in there. Um, and I can't think, well, I guess, well, the Zoroark movie does technically sort of have four. Mm. Uh, I like that one. That's not as widely loved as, as Pokemon 2000. So I, I, I'm sure there is a point of diminishing returns on all of this. Like I said, I don't know if I followed the battling quite as closely when I was watching it yesterday as you might. Sounds like you might have. Well, um, the best but part. <laughs> I think I would have preferred rather than having them like having more like one on one stuff with with the legendary Pokemon going against each other. I think that might have been more interesting than having sort of the the free for all we kind of wound up with. Mm. Yeah. I definitely think that. When it comes to the legendaries, anytime the movie doesn't treat them as characters and just kind of treats them as plot devices or special effects, the movie suffers. So I, I think it would be really interesting to see a movie with that many legendaries, but have the same care and attention to detail that they gave Hoopa, so that they all have a character arc and it all means something. And maybe that's a movie that we don't need Ash for, but yeah, like... They, they feel like they don't have any purpose being there if they're not characters in their own right. 
It's also worth noting that in part because of the setting of the the city where all this takes place is, um, I think, all the the Pokemon that are summoned for the, the big legendary battle are ones that can either fly or sort of float in the air. Mm. So we're we're not going to get like the legendary beasts from from Gold Silver Crystal. You know, we're not going to get. We're obviously not going to get Groudon. Uh, maybe Kyogre could they could squeeze in there. I don't remember if that. I don't think that was they, one of the. They ones got him in the did. prologue. They, they got him in the prologue. <laughs> it's in the prologue, and I think there's yeah, there's some of those are definitely in there showing their primal evolutions. But as far as like the move, the fight scene towards the end, I mean, we obviously have Rayquaza, we have Reshiram and Zekrom, we have Dialga and Palkia, and stuff like that. But I, I think I would have preferred something like going back to 2000 and I guess the Zoroark movie as well. I think having a, a larger number of legendaries works if those Pokemon have some sort of tie to each other. So like in in Power of One, we have three Pokemon that are, you know, the legendary bird trio from Gen 1 and then you have Lugia. So and that also sets up kind mm-hmm. of the sides in that conflict. Sort of right. similar in the um, in the Zoroark movie, uh, there are some clearly because they're they're the fake uh, versions of the, the the legendary beasts, and then there are the actual ones that show up in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it ties into the plot a little. I choose you has three of them. It has obviously Ho has Mars Shadow, and then it has Entei in it, and that's really about it. Other than some brief cameos and sort of like the epilogue or whatever you want to call it. Mm. Um, I think. And as someone who still has some bitterness over the Gen 5 TCG, as I sort of outlined earlier, (laughs) for various reasons that don't just have to do with legendaries and are partially my own perspective on the trading card game. Like I said, I I don't know if the the Pokemon's abilities were used all that well in the movie. Oh, let's see, we got Kurum. Uh, is definitely in there. It's got it's it's. It, I think it even uses it's like it's uh, fused form or whatever it's yeah. called. White curum, black curum. At least uses at least like one of those. So yeah, I, like I said, I, I don't think this is the weakest, but it's definitely towards that lower end for me. Uh, any, any kind of other thoughts, Anne? Yeah, no, this chain is not holding up the Pokemon chandelier very well. So <laughs> I, I agree. <laughs> Oh, okay. So like I said, not awful, not like I said, we don't we don't want like to get too far into like hyperbole like we're saying, Oh man, my life was totally ruined by watching this right. movie. Yeah, no, it just it had there, potential. That, that, that's it ridiculous. Just... But we we will point out, we will criticize a movie like this if we think it's towards the lower end of the uh the quality spectrum for uh, at least within Pokemon movies. Mm-hmm. Okay. I uh, got a little note from uh let's see, honey. Honey Drop Heavens uh, likes the music. Uh, like I said, anything you have, we're about to go into the score. Get a bonbon, Mad Paced Getter. I don't even remember that song. Oh, I do. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> well, part of it is because I, part of me really, I, my Japanese is terrible. I wanted to write a parody called Autobon Bon. But, oh, right. uh, <laughs> look nice. out, it's a VW. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> 